going on, guys? Welcome back to the Running and Gunning Podcast. I appreciate you all tuning in this evening. We are joined tonight by your host, Justin Sinan, Logan Sandburn, and our special guest that we have, Sean Twitt. I am stoked to have Sean on this evening. Um, I've had the pleasure of having him out at my house. He's helped me uh, kind of help to uh, get a good game plan for my uh, my small little little piece of property I have, and um, I, I learned a ton from him. Um, <clears throat> we were sitting on the hillside having a conversation, and I was like, man, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And uh, I think he's he's a wealth of knowledge for all you guys, and... Without further ado, uh, how are you doing, Sean? What's going on, man? Doing awesome. Living uh, living the dream. Yeah, happily married, uh, living in Kentucky. Uh, the day, the work day is done, and now I'm, uh, I'm on a podcast with some buddies talking hunting, so you can't, uh, can't go wrong with that. Absolutely, man. It's kind of cool because we are all literally like within a, an odd little circle we have going on. Uh, we. You know, I'm on the west side, and and these guys are over here a little bit farther uh, east from me. But uh, it's it's great to have you guys on. How are you doing, Logan? What's going on, brother? I'm doing well. Um, got out in the woods today for a couple hours, so that was. It's always awesome to be out and about, and no matter what you find out there, it's uh, it's good just to explore. And I w- I went out on a piece of public and went to some new areas that I hadn't been to, and. It's just, it's always fun. You know, you get up to the top of a ridge, not knowing what's, what's beyond it. And that experience is, is something that I long for. And I hate when I go too long without it. And I had definitely yeah. gone, gone too long without it. Um, so it was definitely a good day. It definitely, man. It was a beautiful day today too, man. On a positive note, uh, I found the second biggest shed of my life yesterday. I had one of them dream days as a shed hunter uh, came across the elusive giant five point shed and, uh, Oh my God, guys, I was so stoked. Um, it it sounds so gay just talking about it, but (laughs) I, I honestly, like I was so fired up. I looked over to my right and I thought I was looking at like maybe one of the plastic handlers from the Glendale buck (laughs) sitting there in the leaves. And I'm like, Yeah, it really didn't, Sean. I I swear, I was like, man, oh, this is not real life right now. And I went over and I'm like, holy shit. And it was an old shed. It was buried in the leaves. So I really didn't know what to expect because it was in like a, a, pretty much there's a giant CRP field and I was probably like 30 yards inside of the timber and it's real thick where I was. And my whole game plan was just a grid search, this little strip. And it was a, a spot I had permission um, for those of you guys that have followed us for a little while, I had permission on a property and, um, it was where a giant buck was living. There was a 240 inch buck that was killed there this year. And I'm 99% sure I found his side from two years ago, um, in the works of putting that together. But, um, I found out that another guy had found his other side and it was, I found the right, this guy I found the left and, it's I've seen trail cam pictures of him and pretty pretty cool so I'm really excited I'm gonna try to put a a storyline together for it um you know just Just to make that just to make that clear you're not talking about the 240 inch buck right I am 100 percent it's his it's his antler from two years ago in 2020 really I, I found his shed yes okay that's I didn't understand that when you told me that 
Okay. Yeah, I just I found out right about it. Like, I found it. I I texted Logan when I found out, and uh, I was like, "Dude, I've got pictures of him." I mean, the the thing that sticks out to me is when you're looking at him like face on. I got a trail cam picture of him face on in 2020, and he's a giant ten, and he's got this extra little like kicker off the back of his base, and both of the sheds have kickers off the back of the base. So, like, I'm like, bingo, and this is a mega antler. I mean. It it had a six inch base on the actual bottom of it, like the H one. So, I don't know. It regardless, I know. Like I'm not trying to go on a rant about this shed, but obviously, you know, I'm I'm stoked about it. Um, definitely a cool find. Should be. Yeah, I am, man. It was it was cool. Um, but regardless, tonight, guys, we are getting in to a really cool subject, which is pushing the envelope for mature whitetails. Sean um, has got some awesome stuff. I know. How did you want to go about it, man? I know, you know, we were talking about getting this started off with what you had learned from a specific buck that you harvested that kind of like, I guess, like get the get the fire burning for you. Right. Like, why don't you give us a little breakdown of, uh, you know, for for those out there that don't know you, um, how you got into this, you know, mobile hunting side of things uh, for whitetails. Well, uh, thanks again for having me, guys. Absolutely. Um, been bow hunting since I was nine, uh, since 1990, and I've been blessed to hunt multiple states like Iowa, Kansas, Montana, Wisconsin, Ohio, South Dakota, Connecticut, here in Kentucky, New York. Um, bounced around the country, um, working as an associate doc for different doctors around the country. I'm a chiropractor. And uh, I love it. I love helping people. I love, I love helping people uh, improve their health and whatnot. Um, and so uh, I've been able to hunt multiple different types of terrain from suburban settings to large ranches out in the West to rolling hills in, in the Midwest, uh, Ohio, Kentucky, Wisconsin. Um, and, and you learn a lot. You learn, uh, you learn really quickly or you don't punch your tag. And every state is different deer are deer but they're really not i mean deer in kentucky are not the same as uh new jersey i mean yeah they're right. both technically whitetails but you can't hunt them the same right yep and um and sometimes you have to take uh hot sign active sign and strike when the iron's hot you have to move and you have to be mobile um quick quiet and that tends to kill and kill tags you know and uh so you know you hunt long enough um and you make enough mistakes and the mistakes cost you and they're painful, uh, you learn quickly. And, but that's, that's a good way to learn. That's how I learn. And, um, yeah, I've been, I've been blessed to take some good deer. Uh, I've been using Lone Wolf uh, tree stands since 1990, the first year I hunted. And uh, they're just solid, safe, quiet, quick uh, stands. I, I don't hunt out of any other tree stand. And, um, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, Sean. I apologize that I did not introduce you. Uh, Sean is also on the Lone Wolf staff. Um, and whitetail addictions. Uh, if you guys have seen his episode from last year, so yeah, sorry I didn't put that uh, in the introduction. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I just there's nothing like a lone wolf, and I I don't want to sound like a commercial, but uh, if something's not safe, you know, rock solid, um, and um, helps me get closer and more successful to deer, you know, then I'm not going to use it. It could be lone wolf or any other product for that matter. Bad matter, but uh, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. I love the lone wolf stands, but um, being mobile is huge, you know, um, because mature deer 
you can't hunt them like you do other deer. Once a big, you know, and when I say big, I mean at least four years old. I try to target five and a half year old deer. Um, you can't hunt them the same. And once he knows he's being hunted, it he has the upper hand in the game of chess. It's going to be tough to put an arrow in him. Um, so being mobile is just one more thing that you can uh, use in your tackle box of uh, tricks um, to keep him from knowing you're, you're after him. <laughs> Quick, uh, just what stand and what sticks are you using? You don't have to go into depth, but what do you prefer? Um, I like the, the .75. That's my go-to. Yeah. Using the doubles or the single steps? Singles. 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 Yeah. Any eighters? Minis. <laughs> no, I don't use the eighters, but I mean, I can, with three sticks, I can get up about 20 feet without a problem. Okay. Is that, what height do you typically hunt? It just depends uh, on the my, tree. It depends on the tree. I mean, you have a, a big oak with three trunks coming out of it with good background cover. Gosh, I, um, you know, 10 feet, you know, okay. if uh, it, it, you know, depends on, you know, whether or not oh, you have yeah. swirling winds to contend with and that no, type of I'm... thing and. Yeah, we understand completely. Good. Yeah. Yep. So let's get into your story about uh, the buck that you, you had mentioned. Uh, it was Hugh Dini, right? You Houdini. you chased this deer for a few years, and he really mm-hmm. kind of set the bar for you as far as, you know, we don't want to say, we don't want to call it an aha moment, but it was uh, one of those times where, like, things kind of clicked for you, and you started to be able to knock down more mature deer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm from central Wisconsin and my parents lived on the Wisconsin river. So I was very blessed to have a long 13 mile stretch of open water between my house and the next, uh, dam and between my house and that dam were dozens and dozens of islands. And these are tag alder, cedar thicket, swampy kind of backwater slough areas, uh, way off the beaten path. But in order to get to them, you have to go through you have to have a boat and a lot of guys look at um, open water um, as a barrier and while duck hunting over the years I would see deer periodically swimming from island to island uh, or setting up decoys in the morning before first light and I'd hear deer splashing around and it was pretty early on um, in my high school years that I realized gosh you know this this whole area is kind of untapped for deer and I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's nobody else out here deer hunting. Uh, when most people think of open water and, and swamps, uh, cattail marshes, big bodies of, you know, big body of water, uh, big river systems, they're thinking trapping, duck hunting, and fishing. They're not thinking, ooh, let's go bow hunting for deer, right? Right. And that's exactly yeah. why I hunted it like that. And I was out there one morning and uh, setting up some decoys by myself. And it was uh, way before uh, sunrise. And I'm panning over from left to right. I have my headlight on. And I'm putting a couple of wood duck decoys over in this one spot and a couple of mallards off to the side in the other spot. And I hear splash, splash, splash. And I hear this deer coming. And I turn my headlights on and I see this big five by five, you know, going from one island to the next. I thought, oh my God, that's 150 all day long, you know? Right. And uh, it was the only, the first and only time I saw him. And that was in 1998. And he stayed the same basic five by five frame. And then he got a couple extra kickers. Uh, the second and third year that I saw him, um, he was uh, he was three years old, I, I guess, estimated uh, to be, you know, at that at that time. Um, big body, just real dark, dark rack, dark hide, but just a typical swamp, northern Wisconsin, you know, swamp deer, you know, just 
Right. Know, and this is like before yeah. you were using trail cameras and stuff like that, right? This, this is, is all just the, visual well, scouting. Um, some of the old school cuttybacks were just coming out. Okay. At that point, I remember them you know. big, like squared, boxed out frame ones. Yeah, it looked like know. a cereal box, you know, uh-huh. with like D sized batteries. Yeah. I mean, like, yep. you know, you'd get maybe two weeks, you know, before the batteries would die. You know, no offense, right. Cuddy Back, if you're listening, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I had a couple of those, but, you know, not reliable. Um, I'm a reconics guy, this, you know, nowadays. But uh, anyway, so um, never saw that buck again. And I tried. The second year, I saw him twice. And actually missed him. One time I was pulling into a little slough and um, I was just getting out of the canoe and I wasn't ready. My bow was behind me and this buck gets up with a doe. He was maybe maybe 15 yards in on the island and he gets mm-hmm. up with his doe and he runs and I just grab my bow and my, my leather glove. I was shooting a compound, uh, an old PSC bow um, with a leather glove and uh, just a little arrow rest it wasn't like a drop away it's before drop away arrow rest so you're shooting and this thing so fingers right fingers and compound but no sight i was shooting instinctive Damn. and i was drilling deer out to 30 35 yards with this thing but my i didn't have time to take the leather glove off and it slid down the string i came to full draw and it's kind of ballparked and I, my arrow flew right over the top of his back heart was up in my throat you know i couldn't breathe i couldn't think straight you know and it just happened so quick well this buck had on his right front leg one of his uh, one of his hooves was broken in half, so the second year and the third year I would see tracks like, of yeah. his on these islands with that hoof. Right. Third year I went out there, and I was going to start grad school in November of 2000, and I took the whole month off. I quit my drywall job at the end of uh, September. I took the whole month of October off to go after this deer before I had to go to school for four years. And I'm going to go hell or high water every day if I have to. But I waited for about, I think, eight days until I got a straight west wind because I knew where this deer was bedding. Slipped in with a canoe, um, hung my, my lone wolf. It was a alpha sit and climb. It was the old school climber, right? Mm-hmm. And I get, up, I get up maybe 16, 17 feet up in the tree, and I have the platform facing away from the cattail thicket where I, this buck was bedding. So when he comes in, I'm going to have to just stand the last hour or so of daylight and then keep the trunk of the tree between me and this buck that's coming in from the west as my platform is facing the east, right? So he's coming in. Last light, I hear a deer sloshing through the cattails. Splash, splash, look. You know, I see the cattails parting, you know, like the Red Sea. And I see this rack come out, and here he is. And at 20 yards, I come to full draw. He comes into my mock scrape at 7 yards, and I drill him. And uh, he runs back the way he came, tipped over in the cattail marsh, and uh, the rest is history. And uh, it took me and my, my friend Ryan and his older brother Chad probably 15 minutes to pull him, not even 60 yards out of the cattails, because, like, like you couldn't barely dead touch weight. the bottom. Yeah, yeah right. dead weight, and your feet are getting sucked <laughs> in this marsh. And I'm pulling, it's a 300 pound deer, basically, yeah, you know? Yeah, right. And um, that's awesome. It was man. incredible. And that was my first biggest buck. He scored a little over 150, and uh, and uh, but I was I, I knew about this deer, and there was two other guys after him, a guy locally from my hometown, and then another guy from Madison who drove up an hour and a half, one way from Madison, because he saw that same buck while duck hunting on that same section of the river. So there's there two wild. other guys after this buck, and I got right. That was pretty cool. What what made you give him the name Houdini? Because he would just disappear. He just gave me the slip year after year. I just I I, yeah. I saw him four times in three years, and that's it. That's that's not very many sightings. Yeah. 
Do you what, go ahead? What would bro. you say? What would you say your biggest lesson was from, you know, three years of chasing him? Oh man, um, that your entrance when approaching a deer has to be flawless, and that you have to wait for the conditions to be right. They have to be really, really good for you. And the wind direction has to be in, in, a, in a way so that the deer thinks that he's safe. And you thread that needle between giving, if you will, too much of your wind and not giving enough. Like there's that line, if you know what I'm talking about, where a deer, let's say, comes in from the south end. Let's say have a food plot, right? And the deer comes in from the southeast corner. And you're hunting the east end, but like the northeast corner of the east end. And the wind's out of the south or southeast. And the deer thinks that, okay, like if I come in from, you know, the north, I'll be downwind of that food plot, but, but you're off to the side just a few degrees. You're slightly downwind of where the direction where the deer is coming from, right? So right. like this, this buck comes out of his ta- cattails and the tag alders, and he had no choice but to come in with a tailwind. So I was downwind in this oak flat, downwind of the, cat, uh, the, uh, the tag alders, and there was only one direction to come in from. Any other direction, whether northwest, a south-southwest, a, a straight north or a straight south wind, he would have winded me when I came in to that oak flat. I had to have exactly a, a straight west wind to come in and set up and be directly downwind and close to where this buck was bedding. So when he came out, he was, he was feeding really close to the tags. So if I was if I was hunting a, uh, an oak flat, let's say even 200 yards away, he wouldn't have come out and entered in the oaks. Still during daylight, so I had I'd to hug yeah. his bed, and I had to be. I guess to answer your question, the wind has to, your entrance has to be perfect, and you have to hunt with the exact right wind, and you can't compromise that. Otherwise, big deer are, they're not going to tolerate mistakes. Right? How See, how did you find? his bed to know exactly i guess what the right wind was okay so of all the different islands out there the ones that have mature canopy oaks were basically not where the deer bedding right but the ones that had those thick cattail swampy marshy tag alder kind of thickets and there weren't too many of them that had that type of thick cover that's where the deer are bedding and I would observe year after year deer coming into the oak flat, the islands that have these oak flats, from those islands that had cattails and tag alders, right? They weren't bedding in the oaks that are like almost like a, a city park, you know, real mature oaks, haven't been logged in 50, 60 years, right? Mature canopy. So the deer are not bedding in there. But if you could find islands that were close to those destination oak flats that had really thick cover so thick that you'd have to crawl to get through that's where the deer are bedding and then just a couple of years of observing that that's where they were coming from you just put two and two together and i had a couple like i said trail cams right um but only a couple and we're talking you didn't, hundreds, did, you didn't get him acres. get him much on camera i guess no i never no. got him on camera yeah it's really interesting I never got man. Him on camera. I, some of the biggest deer that i shot like back before you know like in my early times of using trail cameras never ever got the deer on camera like it was just amazing like and it's not like and you know the deer was like flirting super close to where you had the camera it's almost like they know especially back then i feel like they could look at the tree and be like 
Yeah, I'm not that stupid, dude. Like, <laughs> that thing flashed at my girlfriend the other night, and I was like, there ain't no way in hell I'm going near that thing. <laughs> you know, like, this is, I, I mean, know. In, in, in the time of a hunting career where, you know, you, you didn't have this reliance on trail cameras, and I, I've never hunted, I've never used a cell camera. Nothing, no offense if people use it. I just, I don't use cell cameras. So you have to go in and check physically the batteries right. and, and pull cards with those non-cell cameras, right? And you just had to rely more on woodsmanship and the size of rubs, how, how aggressively rubs were uh, thrashed, how big and wide and deep the tracks were. And with his track, there was an obvious hoof that was broken in half. Yeah. And it's it him. It's definitely cool. There was, man, there was a buck that I know of on public that was like that. And... I I don't know where he went to. I don't know if somebody shot him. Um, he was super killable the year I could have killed him, but I was tagged out. And I know he made it because I, I watched his tracks when I went to go pull the cameras like later in the year, and I know it was him. <clears throat> but I don't know. He never he never showed back up. I I was really looking forward to it because he was like I mean phenomenal on one side, and then he was like a a three point on the other, but. I really thought, like, you know, he could have been like a booner on one end and then, you know, Biggie Smalls, another. I already, I've already killed one Biggie Smalls, so he would be Biggie Smalls Jr., I guess. But, but, man, I mean, like, as far as you, uh, you know, with when you're getting into hunting that one specific deer, um, I know as the future has moved on for you, you know, you've had other deer that you've built a relationship with, um, when you're hunting down these specific deer, like, is there, are they similar in some ways? Are they, I know, you know, I know the answer is like a lot of these deer are all different, but like, mm -hmm. you know, in your time and hunting and stuff, have you noticed that like some deer see, you'll pick up that they have the similar personalities and it makes them easier to kill? Yeah. Just like, I mean, like, like, like some people are more, uh, introverted some people are more extroverted some people like to go out late at night some people like to they're more day day active right um same same with whitetails right some deer um a tolerate a shit ton of pressure others you even park too close to the general 40 acre parcel like and, and you know and and he sees you come driving uh, down the the farmer's uh, gravel driveway and like he just he won't come out until after dark every deer is is different and and like i've i've noticed okay so like let's say i'm hunting a property and i've got cameras out okay and uh, i'm observing uh, a large and i'm thinking of a farm right now in particular a large section of soybeans standing beans you know july and august and i'm seeing the deer and he's in his bachelor group and i'm watching him consistently after work go out there right the right time of sunset and here he comes there he is get pictures of him on your trail cam i might film him with my camera and uh, there he is. Oh, I'm going to quote, I'm going to kill him, right? And then come hunting season, as you know, they pull a Houdini act, okay, and they disappear. Right. Um, but you, you have the trail cameras are out there running 24-7, and you start moving in, start from the outer perimeter, and you move closer and closer and closer where you think this deer is bedding. And then you get to a certain point where, let's say, you're pushing the envelope too, too close, too soon, going in too deep, too far, and all of a sudden now your trail camera pictures are, showing the same buck he hasn't moved but now it's like he's at two o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the morning four o'clock in the morning and you do enough of that you realize okay maybe i pushed the envelope too much i went in too too soon 
I didn't stay far enough back. And you only make, you only learn that by screwing that up enough times. And then yeah. you realize, okay, was that just him in this environment on that farm? Um, or can I duplicate that on a different piece of property and get away with a lot more and the deer is still daytime active? Right. When you realize there's a difference on similar, different farms with similar habitat, you realize, okay, some deer are just more reclusive and introverted and others are really daytime active. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there's some, there's a buck I was after last year, had seven encounters, filmed all seven encounters. Um, and I had a, a waterway to use for access it's on my YouTube channel. You guys can check it out. It's feather and bone. Um, I've got, uh, every hunt and every encounter with that buck. He's high one sixties, low one seventies deer. Um, and, uh, I had a waterway to access six different tree stands I had surrounding the 25 acre thicket where he was bedding. So I could come in from different wind directions using that waterway all the time without him knowing he's being hunted. Now, if that wasn't a perfect ingress and egress, right, and I didn't have that waterway, I might not have been able to get away with that. Yeah. Okay. And But he was active because I wasn't, he, I was hunting him, but he, was, he didn't know I was hunting him. Right. But if well, I was you can be, right, point, you can be a lot more aggressive when you're hunting a deer that doesn't know you're, that he's being hunted, right? Exactly. Like once they once they get a, a whiff of you or something, man, like the the ball, you know, it can change pretty quick. Um, yep. I know I was telling you about that buck here at my house that I pushed the envelope on, and I came real close, but you know, he he got me because I didn't want to hunt in somebody's <laughs> backyard, basically. Um, I mean, you know, I guess for you, like. I know that's one thing that I really want our listeners to learn from because I think that's something I really struggled with um, in the beginning as far as like when you're walking into the woods and you're not sure if you should keep pushing or if you should hold back. Um, Why don't you like try to paint a picture for us of like a scenario where you're walking in and you start to see some certain things and maybe like you're like, okay. You know, I think I need to not push a little bit too far past this. You're walking in for an evening hunt, let's say, and you're on some public, and maybe you don't have that knowledge built up like on a private property, right? Um, what would you say like might stand out to you as far as like when you're pushing that envelope on on a property that you might not know as well? Yeah, biggest biggest uh, contributing factor um, that will that. The biggest, uh, I'll say, litmus test that tells me, hey, uh, I've gone in way too far. I was too aggressive. Um, is after, let's, I, let's say I go out on a Monday night and I see 12 deer. And then I go back on a Wednesday, just I give it a day in between, maybe Thursday, and now I see three. And the wind direction was, the wind was out of the same direction, same high pressure system, uh, same cool airtime, day, daytime temperatures, okay? Um, didn't bump deer on the way in. Perfect. Short grass. Maybe I'm using a drainage ditch or creek. I'm, I'm not leaving a lot of scent. The conditions are the same. I go in even just two or three days later, and now I'm seeing a third of the number of deer. That area might be, and the deer in that specific spot that I'm trying to hunt, uh, they're, they're more sensitive. They're, they're real sensitive. And I need, to, I need to give it more time in between hunts. So the number of deer that I'm seeing on subsequent hunts, if it's gone down dramatically and, and 
no other variable has changed dramatically other than maybe let's say a trespasser's coming in. <laughs> okay. Right. So now they're doing they're cutting trees on the north end of that, you know, twenty acre woodlot. I mean something dramatic, right? If nothing else has changed and on and the very next time I go in with the same or similar conditions, I'm seeing a marked drop in the overall deer sightings. It's time to like pull back, come in from a different direction or just maybe even hunt a different spot altogether. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where it boils down to being mobile, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, whatever, if they bust you over here on this lot, then you just don't hunt that for a few weeks or a month or so. Exactly, exactly. So do you think that it's a matter of just not hunting it and giving it more time? Do you think if you if you backed off, so you pushed in too close to them or whatever, I mean, it seems kind of counterintuitive that if you then tried to back off that you definitely would see less deer because they wouldn't be pushing as far. Is that correct? Yeah, it just, it, it, it just depends. Um, it, it depends. If I'm seeing a dramatic drop in the daytime pictures on my camera or the very next hunt I go in, just the general rule is if I'm seeing a marked drop in even doe time activity, it's time to really pump the brakes and realize maybe this particular property is way more sensitive to any type of intrusion, no matter how um, how much you watch the wind or how uh, OCD you are with your scent control regimen, okay? It's just that particular property. Maybe the woodlot's too small. Maybe there's too much op- there are too many openings around that five or 10 or 15 acre uh, woodlot. And, and there you think that you're getting in, okay, but they're seeing you. And they're coming on the back end, they're, they're hightailing out on the back end through the, through the, the back door. And, uh, and you don't, but you don't even realize that, but it doesn't matter. You're seeing a marked drop in the activity. It's time to just maybe um, hunt a different spot. One more thing I want to mention is um, a lot of guys when they hunt and they go out and they're saying, oh gosh, last night I saw 12 deer, three bucks. They get excited and then, and, it, and you only learn this by making this mistake a million times. But right. you, ah, oh, it was amazing. Like on that, I went out Thursday night, and that's what I saw. I'm telling your buddies, and uh, so I'm gonna go again. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give it like maybe a day or two. I'm gonna go back and hunt again, and you see 50% less activity. And you think, well, maybe that's just a fluke. So then you hunt it again because you're still excited about that hunt from three, four days ago. You're doing a lot of damage. Right. And you're educating because you're leaving scent every time you walk in and every time you walk out. And even after dark, just because it's dark outside, we can't see. I mean, for the next 10 hours, the deer are roaming around. They're crossing all those trails that you made walking in and out. And, um, it, Unless you're really lucky and you got a spot like Sean where you can take your kayak and get right up into where you need to be and just cut out. I mean, you know, yeah, that yeah. Kind, that's kind of nice. Yeah, I feel like that's... That's what happened to me two years ago. I was on two really good deer. Um, I had an encounter with them. I saw, I don't know, it wasn't 12, but it was probably eight or 10 10 deer. And I think five of them were bucks and two of them were bucks I would have shot. And I ended up coming to full draw on them, but it was too dark to shoot. And then I didn't see them again. Um, I went back in. I don't think it was the next day. I think it was a couple days later, but it was, I, I actually, since I saw them, you know, right at last light and it was too dark for me to shoot. I tried to push the envelope farther, right? Try and catch them closer to the bed, 
closer to or earlier in the day um, as they were moving towards me and I I never was able to get back on those deer so I've unfortunately experienced that myself um, <laughs> but you know for me I didn't have anywhere else I was on those two deer and that was it I had kind of pigeonholed myself into being like okay this is where I need to hunt I have these deer on camera. I've now seen them, you know, in real life. And this is what I want to go after. And I didn't have anywhere else to go. So then you feel the pressure to be like, okay, I need to go back in there. Um, mm -hmm. And what do you, I guess, what are your thoughts on having multiple deer or multiple properties or, or things like that? Um, so that you're not, you know, just taking that time off, you're still able to get in the woods, but just not in that spot. Yeah. So I never go into a hunting season with any fewer than at least three shooters, ideally. And that might be on four five, six different properties because every year is different. The only constant in life is change, right? People die, they sell the property, it gets subleased out. Um, uh, it's gets subdivided. Okay. <laughs> unless you your name is on the deed okay um in some years a, a property is a stud the next year is a dud maybe it's a growing year maybe because you took a nice big five-year-old six-year-old deer off of that property last year and it needs a couple of years to uh, for that void to be filled by another mature buck the point is um i never go into a season i never rest on my laurels i always try to find at least five or six properties and at least three what I consider to be shooters that made it from the year before or that I've been observing throughout the summer, getting on trail cam, whatever. I know that there's three deer that I would be happy to wrap my tag around going into the season because someone could shoot one of my shooters the first opening weekend when I'm yeah. on farm A, he's killed on farm B. And I don't even know that. All of a sudden, God, shit, he, he's been, I haven't seen him on camera in six weeks. Well, he's probably dead. Okay. Yep. He might not be, but he, he could be. They, I mean, um, you never know, man. It could be two miles away, and then like every deer is different. You never really can. That's one positive thing. It's like never put your all your eggs in one basket. It holds pretty true to you know whitetails. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this: there is not a single consistent big buck killer that I've talked to that puts all of his eggs in one basket. So no that's why you see all these guys on Instagram constantly scouting. It's not because they're just out here looking for pictures on the internet. Um, it takes a lot of work, so, you know. So are you, in order to find those those shooters, are you relying on trail cam pictures? Are you glassing? You know, how do you, what's your approach? So I look at, man, I this is, this this might sound like unbelievable. This laptop that I'm doing this podcast with you guys on tonight, this is my dear trail cam picture laptop. I bought this computer just, I swear to God, just for cameras. Okay. <laughs> Huge storage. Like I have folders, you know, from every farm going back to like, you know, when I first had trail cameras. So like, it's, it's amazing. It hasn't crashed on me. So I have a ton of pictures. And so I know, and you know, we all name our deer, right? So we know, okay, we got the drop time buck. We got you know, Curly, we got the Giant 8, we've got, you know, Tower. We all have names for these deer, right? And uh, so you know what deer are up-and-comers, right? And so I'll, I'll, I'll keep an inventory, of course, on my trail cams. Um, but uh, I do a lot of glassing in the summertime, you know, when deer are, 
you know, let's face it, it's pretty easy to see basher groups. You know, if you spend enough time out there overlooking a, you know, alfalfa or clover field or, uh, you know, the far end downwind side of your food plot, like you're, you're going to see, they're, they're pretty visible, even mature bucks, you know, about by the middle of summer, right? So I do a lot of that. Um, and then I talk to the people that you can trust, and that's a small group of people, especially in the bow hunting world, right, that you can trust to, you know, loose lips sink ships, but the, the small group that you can share some of that information with. And uh, especially close neighbors who are, who have the same goals as you. Okay, that's that's a great relationship to have. And so we all know, you know, in certain farms where I hunt, you know, have you seen this deer? Have you seen this deer? You know, did you know of anybody shooting? So you you know you, you talk to people and you know what deer have survived. Um, Every but, once uh, in a while, you get that heartbreaking news that the giant deer you've been trying to kill is is dead, and mm, you're a little heart last year. a little heartbroken <laughs> for a few days. Uh, I'm glad we can share the same pain. Uh, <laughs> Moment pain of silence. Never really goes away. It just it's <laughs> more tolerable to deal with, you know. Absolutely, um, man. Yeah, it's yeah. so it's really so wild how like we get so worked up over specific deer. Sometimes I don't know. I think it's just part of it, you know. Once you get like, once you put in so much effort for one animal, it's like you almost like just grow attached to them. Yeah, it's emotional, like, and we yeah. get, get passionate about the things that we're emotional about, you know? Right. So. Yeah. It's the love of the outdoors, man, on another level. <laughs> so when you are, when you're setting your trail cams, um, what is your approach as far as to get the pictures of these deer? Are you putting them on trails? Are you putting them on scrapes, on bait? What are you? I very, approach? very rarely put cameras anywhere inside of the woods right i like to put cameras on the outside perimeter because throughout the late spring and all of summer they are going to leave the safety of those thick bedding areas and move out into the open feed, feeding areas and you'll get and that's more more than likely not we're going to ultimately kill them come early fall even but it, you at least at least you're going to get an inventory i like places where i can literally drive my pickup truck to the cameras or like a four-wheel, okay, drive to it. So I'm not stepping foot and leaving scent and making noise anywhere near where I expect the deer to, to bed. You know, deer are used to farming implement equipment, four-wheelers, trucks. Like, that doesn't bother them at all. Uh, leave the truck run, let the four-wheeler continue to run, get out, check your cameras, get back, and then leave. Over time, throughout the summer, they don't really care about that. It's when you leave those open areas and sort of walking through thickets that all of a sudden now that's that's different okay they they know the farmer doesn't do that they know that you know you're not doing that throughout the summer and that's how you educate the deer um so i'm always putting cameras uh on the outside perimeter and, uh, of areas where i know the deer bed um, i always like to use steep ditches creeks uh short grass fields that i can access you know right before a heavy heavy rain not a light rain um where a light rain can uh, actually amplify your scent that you leave behind, but a heavy downpour, a soaking rain, okay, or extremely dry and extremely windy conditions. And I like to use terrain where I'm hidden or I'm using a waterway to get in and access those cameras. Again, you know, <clears throat> if they hear, see, or smell you, it's game over. I mean, a one or two-year-old, eh, he's going to forget about it in a couple days. Five-year-old, he, he doesn't forget about it. So right. uh, you, you can't make that mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Awesome. I mean, a uh, little bit off topic, but, you know, I kind of wanted to touch on this, man. Um, why don't you get into the story a little bit about, you know, this buck that you recently found the sheds to. Um, oh, you're creating, 
you're creating quite the story uh, for a, a, hopefully a, a future Whitetail Addictions episode um, yeah. for next year. Uh, you guys that are listening, you can't see this, but I'll show you. This is a buck I call um, Pitchfork. Pitchfork is uh, is frustratingly smart. This is a, a shed that I picked up. Um, amazing genetics uh, for a two-year-old. Okay, uh, squirrel's got to the very um, end of the main beam here, but it's still intact. And I picked up this shed in January of 2021 um, after a coyote hunt. I wasn't actually shed hunting. I was just done hunting, making my call and set up. Went out and found a shed. Um, two months later in March, I found the match set. It's in the other room, so I can't go out and grab it right now. And I found the match set once again after a coyote hunt, and I found them both 256 paces from one another. One, uh, four and a half feet, four, four and a half feet off the ground in the bush. The other one at a fence crossing, okay? Uh, saw that buck November 4th of 2021, came in, three and a half years old, scored 158, I know, because I scored the match set, okay? And I gave him a conservative 18, 19-inch inside spread. He was wider than that. And I got the footage to prove this. I got the trail cam pictures. Awesome buck. Um, did not want to shoot him. When I saw him on the hoof, I thought, God, I was tempted, really tempted, but I didn't. Uh, I had a stare down for two minutes at 14 yards. Uh, came in from upwind, sun at my back, wind in my face. Comes in, hand to God. You see this on camera. It's on my YouTube channel. Comes in, sees my silhouette of my shadow, stops two feet shy of the scrape, pauses, looks down, looks at the shadow, then looks straight up at me up in the tree. I'm like 24 feet up in this huge tree, forked, good background cover, and we st- and he doesn't move his head for two minutes. Oh, man. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> he didn't cross any of my trails coming in, came in off a short, overly grazed cow pasture, didn't use any deer trail, didn't cross a single deer trail to get to my tree. I'm downwind, sun on my back, wind in my face, saw my silhouette, looked up at me for two minutes and like four seconds. Gone. I'm like, wow, this deer is not. Disappeared, didn't get another picture of him all fall, all winter. Thought he was dead or he moved away. I find his match set. The one shed about 60 yards away from my stand and I had cameras running the whole winter up until the time the deer dropped not a single picture of them and it's it's unbelievable to me because there's a narrow strip that runs about 10 acres long it's about 40 yards wide it runs for a few hundred yards it's long and narrow and every buck in that entire area right along the Kentucky River comes up through that strip. So you have any and just one camera in the middle of it where all these trails converge in the middle of this funnel, you're going to get every buck in the neighborhood. He didn't trigger my camera a single time after that. We fast forward to 2022. Not a single picture in June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January. Not a single picture. I think he's dead. He's got to be dead. I didn't see him on camera, didn't get video footage of him. And then this year, on March 15th, three days from when I found his mat set the year before, 25-inch main beam, perfect, long G2s and 3s. Yeah, found that's a this beautiful shed. Thing. 
about 250 yards away from my stand. The guy never left the area, but I never saw him in person. I never saw him on camera. I hunted only when the conditions were perfect. Not to say that some bucks are unkillable, but some bucks get really close to unkillable, but he's in trouble this fall. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he had you figured out that when you went in there, when you thought the conditions were right for you to kill him, that he was actually someplace that you didn't think that he was? No, I knew exactly where he's betting, which is why I even saw him in the first place. I chose not to shoot him in 2021. Now, last year, as a four and a half year old, he became like a multiple PhD holder. Like this deer is like <laughs> smart, and and I and I love how difficult he's going to be to hunt. But with him, there's there's not there's not going to be any room for error, zero. Like I'm going to get maybe one shot at him, and it's going to be quick, and it's going to be probably late October, and that's about it. Um, so. What are yeah. the conditions you're hoping to, to kill this deer in? Like, <clears throat> right outside of, like, when he's going to get in to, to start to seek a little bit, you think you're going to push outside of, of his home range and hopefully catch him, you know, slipping up, like, on a scrape? Is that your... If you could anticipate, I know that's a broad question, but... Yes. So, because I have three years of history, and I know when he starts showing on trail camera, um, and I know where he beds... Um, the only time I think I'm going to have a chance at him is going to be the last probably six, seven days of October when we get our first really good high-pressure system, uh, 15, 20-degree temperature drop, still in October. It's going to force him to be on his feet uh, uh, later in the morning and up on his feet in the afternoon earlier than normal um, and starting to roam a little bit but not still like – like peak rut roaming but just he's thinking about looking for those first does and estrus knows that the does are not in heat unlike the two and three year olds who are just raging with testosterone and they're moving but they don't know why they're moving and they're acting crazy but he will and he's still close to his bedding area but that cold drop that that drop in temp okay is going to get him moving on his feet early but before he's so distracted and covering so much ground with that first hot doe, like there'll be about a five day window, I'm guessing. And that's yeah. when I'm going to probably have a chance at him, but not before and definitely not after. Will you totally leave that place alone or you? Yeah. 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 I will go in at the end of like late summer to fill my water hole and replenish mineral, maybe like right after Turkey season and then stay out. I won't go back for those. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off. That's fine. What were you going to say? I was going to ask. Okay. So like I've got a specific farm that has been good to me. Um, you know, do I like leave this place alone until I find, you know, a hammer that I really want to kill in there? Yes. Yeah, yes. like completely just don't hunt until you know that there's existence and then make a game plan. Yeah. Okay. Yes, because some deer, I mean, they're just, they they, they know the game. Um, I think that I've been too broad in my approach. If I, if I look back on this year, I feel like I spent way too much time uh, and energy focusing and throwing sits at this farm 
without proof of existence of a giant. Mm-hmm. And Every I think that deer was there the in. whole time, and he was yeah. smart, and he avoided me. Yeah. And yeah. I'm kind of, man. I, yeah, I'm kind of reflecting on, like, how my season went, and I'm like, I'm pretty positive that that deer was there the whole time, and he was outsmarting me. And when I finally let the gas off of that place, it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Think about this. The analogy I give people is, like, if I sneak into your bedroom in your house, Logan, you're not home. I don't steal a darn thing. And I'm not going to, but I'm, I'm just messing with it. You, you leave for a weekend. I sneak into your house. I sneak in your bedroom. I don't take anything. But I move your bed four feet over, <laughs> and then I leave. The moment you come home, you're like, who in the F was in my house? You're going to be on red alert. You're going to install some ring cameras in every room outside your driveway, by your garage. You're going to stay in a hotel for two weeks. You're going to call the authorities. You're like, You won't be coming down from that adrenaline rush for two, three weeks because you know someone was in your house. Imagine that times 10, right? They know they live out there. We're a visitor, but they live out there all year. They have to survive against predators that have to kill to live, right? Even when we're careful, we're sloppy. And every time you go in that you don't put an arrow in that buck, you're leaving a little bit of evidence that you were there. And if he happens to cross that path, at some point, it could be 2 o'clock in the morning. He now knows somebody's after me because they, they came in. They, they came too close to where I'm bedding. Uh, they linger too, too long next to where I'm feeding. He now knows you're after him. If you don't kill him, you know, hunting more and hunting harder is not necessarily better. It's hunting it's when the timing, when the stars line up properly and the conditions are perfect for you and the conditions where the, where the wind and the temperature and everything is the deer thinks it's fine for him, but it's not. It's actually slightly more in your favor. At that moment, that's when you strike. Right. So I've kind of got a, a change-up question for that then. So what if what if you're not sure what the, the right conditions are and you're in season and you're still you're trying to figure that out? Um, I guess what are your, your scouting tactics to try and – get on that deer and figure out how to kill him. So to borrow a couple uh, tips from like Bill Winkie, I love, I love Bill Winkie. The guy's awesome, right? Um, he, he's always said, you know, and I agree with this a lot. I would rather hunt a marginal spot with the right wind than the best spot with a terrible wind, right? He likes to stay and I, and I've adopted this, you know, approach and this mindset and it's really worked good for me. Um, air on the side of caution, hang back farther than you think that you need to. Uh, don't penetrate deep, uh, too deep into the inner sanctum of where you think a deer is bedding, um, and do a lot of observation from a distance. That keeps deer from realizing that they're being hunted. And to answer your question even more directly, it's a gray area. It's a moving target, and you have to feel it out. It takes me, on average, like three solid seasons before I can tell you, I kind of know this farm. You can't learn it in six weeks or even one season, in my opinion. No, I, I agree with that completely. It, it takes a few seasons to see how the deer move at different times of the year and how your pressure affects that and what the neighbors are doing and yep. where the where the bedding habitat is and what the routes they take from bedding to feeding. And You just have to spend a shit ton of time observing and, and doing, and it just takes repetition and making those mistakes before you realize, okay, I'm going too far. I'm not going far enough. I'm not right. hunting enough. I'm hunting too often. 
Does that make sense? It's a gray area that's hard to answer with a no. cut and dried. That you know. that really clicked a lot with me, man. I'll be dead honest with you. Um, I felt like you were speaking to me because, like, all of that was super relevant to what I have on a on a good farm that I've been hunting. Um, I'm not the only person hunting it, but it's one of those things. Like, for as far as archery season goes, I, it's for the most part I have I have run at it. And I feel like, you know, this will be my third season hunting there. Um, I've, I got it like, you know, midsummer a year ago and it's, it's been great to me. It's been a good farm. Um, there's been good deer on it, but I'm really like taking a step back and kind of like being like, man, um, I think I need to open my horizons and, you know, find some other new places to hunt and, Really, I mean, at the bottom line, guys, like for all you guys listening, uh, the more property you have, the more wider your net is cast, the more big deer you're going to have access at. Um, It becomes more of a pain in the ass when you have more and more properties to hunt and it's going to take more and more time. But, you know, the less pressure you put on a place, the better it's going to be for you. Like, what do you really want at the end of the day? The more optimal of a hunt you're going to have. And the more, the more times, even if you're hunting less, you're seeing more. So I think a lot of you guys need to like kind of weigh that in there. It's like, yeah, spend more time scouting. And I know that this is just regurgitated information you hear from, from all kinds of other people, but spend more time scouting and less time hunting. And you're going to have a lot more fun while you're hunting. Um, But it's, it's absolutely the truth. And, um, man, Sean, it's, it's been a blast having you on, man. Uh, honestly, like I can't wait to have you on again. I think we'll try and touch, touch up like mid season. Um, get a maybe get a, a kickoff maybe before season or something like that. Um, Logan, did you have anything else? I was going to close it out with one more question, but, um, I, I had something, but you put me on the spot, and now I uh, – <laughs> it, it totally slipped my mind. Um, no, you go ahead. Okay. If I, if I remember, then I'll have the last question. How about that? No, all good. Sounds great, <laughs> man. Uh, Sean, I wanted to ask you, in, as far as, uh, you know, like your mindset goes, man, like what's, um, what's maybe something for some of our listeners uh, that you could, like, suggest for as far as – pushing that envelope um what would you suggest to you know some of our guys that are maybe newer into maybe they've been a little bit more reserved like what kind of information would you kind of a tip or so for for them to kind of encourage them to push the envelope um it's very easy to get frustrated if you set goals and don't achieve it and persistence you know you you have to be persistent and not just hunting a lot persistent, but going regardless of what the weather's doing, going when you're tired, going when you're full of energy, um, going when you don't feel like it, just being persistent. Um, hunting, and especially to be consistently successful year after year, at least. I'm not saying to shoot a 150 every year, but at least putting yourself in the game, in the mix. Like you're going to be seeing deer, you're going to be close to, to closing the deal. 
to do that, it takes its toll on your relationships, on work, on your physical and your mental um, stability sometimes. And, your, and it's fatiguing, both physically and mentally. But be persistently consistent and, and keep going, regardless of the weather, regardless of what life throws your way. Because even if you're not the best hunter with the best equipment and with the best hunting land and you know, the best access, if you just never give up, not to sound like a motivational speaker here, but like a lot of guys, when they get to the point, not if, but when you get to that level of frustration, you just quit. Season is a marathon. It's, a, it's not a sprint. The tortoise one, not the hare, right? Like That's right. it's about being consistent no matter how difficult. Because, you know, if you mentally check out by the end of October and you're missing November, December, late season can be as good as, you know, as, as the early season. But you're burnt out because you're frustrated because you weren't persistent enough. You don't, you're not hungry enough for it. You'll never fill your tag, you know, uh, at least not on the deer that you want. Uh, that's, that's always worked for me. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that and, and feel that because for me, it's not just across one season. Um, you know, I really started mobile hunting in, I think, 2019. Um, so, you know, this is, this is year four for me of, of at least, you know, putting in the work and, and trying really hard and I haven't been successful yet. Um, and then, you know, I've gone out West now for three years in a row. Um, and then I even elk hunted in Kentucky and I didn't fill any of those tags. And so my level of frustration, you're right, is, is <laughs> just about, uh, at its peak and, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to, you know, let that deter me from continuing to get out there, get in the woods and to continue to learn and, you know, talk to guys like you and Justin who, who know a lot more and have a lot more experience than I do and continue to grow as a hunter, as a person and continue the chase. I mean, that, that's all it is. It's, you know, we're, we're chasing these deer and I think that, I, I don't know. I don't know I could, that I can put it any better than you did. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like you can't let that frustration stop you from, from pursuing and, and continuing to get out there in the woods. You know, I will say pain is a good teacher and frustration is part of that. And had you not had the frustration, you would not have covered as much ground and learned as much as you did. Even if you didn't punch a tag, every time you go, you learn something. Okay. Every time, at least if you're, paying attention and you're being observant, right? It's like God's great creation. You're going to learn something. Oh, I didn't know they took that route. I didn't know they fed in that part of the field. Why do they feed in that part of the field? Why do they use that route? You only know by going consistently and, and, and peeling back the layers and adding to your level of experience. Just because you didn't come home with the 10 pointer doesn't mean that you didn't learn something because next year you're gonna, you, can, you can see the, those patterns that develop and journaling helps as well, journaling. Uh, and you can endure creatures of habit. You can apply what you learned from the year before for the next season before they start doing the thing and now get ahead of them, right? And by being mobile, not only is it more, you know, they say too much comfort causes constipation. Not, you know, when you're moving, you're covering ground, you're learning more about, you know, the different species of plants and the different topography and you're, you're learning how deer use thermals and, and, and how the terrain affects wind direction. You're learning that 
by moving around and covering a lot of ground. If you, if you go on the same 40-acre parcel and you're hunting the same two ladder stands because you're either complacent or lazy or both, you're not learning as much as the mobile hunter. And as a mobile hunter, every time you go, it's a virgin sit. And a right. virgin sit, as they say, your, your first time in is your best chance. So your, your last season was a, was a huge success because you learned a whole hell of a lot more than the person who hunted the same ladder stand 15 times in a row. Yeah. And you're a better hunter because of it. Absolutely, man. No, everything both of you guys have just said in the past five minutes <clears throat> has completely resonated with me. I'm like, man, just uh, just awesome, honestly. It's perfect. It's exactly what we built this podcast around with the whole mindset of everything. It's like, you know, don't ever give up, guys. I know there's been tons of times where I have literally been on the cusp of like, screw this shit, and then it, it just happens. You know, it's like, I feel like it's just part of lessons in life. You know, just on the other side of, you know, you giving up is success. It's right there. So... Logan, I we already know you're you're gonna you're gonna knock down a giant this year, <laughs> and and a giant elk too. So appreciate that. Hang you know, in. I just, I just dropped my to... I just dropped my Montana uh, application, so I'm excited. Oh, about did you? That. Sweet. Yeah. I just had my yeah. uh, my elk guide from uh, Idaho call me today to get uh get me set up. I uh, apparently need to uh, go down to Sean and start riding horses. That's what she suggested. So. <laughs> She's like, you need to get on a horse. You need to get on there with your backpack and your bow, and make sure that you're good to go. And uh, you know, get uh, get fit up for you know riding horses and hiking hills. So I'm pretty stoked to get that going, um, man. Sean, it has been a blast, brother. Like I said, uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us this evening. You've been a pleasure. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this one as much as I did. And, uh, Sean, where can everybody follow you at? Uh, we really did not drop, you know, uh, whitetail your, your whole consulting business. Why don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Give us a breakdown. Um, so I own uh, mature whitetail strategies and the website is mature Um, so I go into a person's property and kind of walk it with them to see what kind of cards they have to deal with. Uh, what kind of natural browse or, uh, do they have good, uh, natural water, watering holes and water access. Uh, what's the lay of the land? What's the last year's deer sign look like? Uh, do you need food plots? Do you need hinge cutting? Things like that. There's a couple guys that I work with and I subcontract with uh, for that work. But I put a game plan together and give you my perspective on how I'd hunt your property. Uh, I actually put a whole big plan together for you on how to do that. Um, so that's uh, some of my services or whatnot are listed on that website. Again, that's uh, maturewhitetailstrategies.com. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel called uh, Feather and Bone. And and is the ampersand symbol. Um, so it's Feather and Bone. Uh, one thing I want to add, um, I want to add two more things before I leave. Logan, this is a quote for you. And I looked this up. I, to do the quote justice, I wanted to look it up properly, okay? So do not get discouraged, okay? So uh, this is a quote by Michael Jordan. He said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and miss. I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Man. I appreciate Not, that. That's awesome. <laughs> Not only is Sean a great guest, but he dropped it with a great quote. 
I want to give a huge thanks to Sean again, man. Thank you so much. We will definitely have you back on here at probably towards the end of summer, right before season. I'd, I'd love to have you on and just check on uh, the progress with uh, with your with Pitchfork and see how everything's going with that. Want to give a huge thanks to our sponsor, Lemwolf Custom Gear. If you guys are going to be in Peoria or anywhere near Illinois this weekend, come check me out. I'm going to be at the Lemwolf booth. I'll have some running and gunning, uh, you know, swag. We'll have some t-shirts and stuff to hand out. Come check me out. Uh, I'd love to meet any of you guys and just talk whitetails, strategies, and come get your hands on some gear. Um, other than that, uh, we appreciate you all tuning in today, and we had a had a great time, and come check us back next week. Thanks for having me, guys. All right.